Good morning. It's good to see all of you. If we haven't had the honor of meeting yet, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here at Kesed. Uh, we're going to dive right in on this holiday weekend. We've been in a series called Oaks from Ashes, and this is a teaching series around the spiritual concept of abiding. And everyone uses the word abiding in their life, right? You use that word all the time. So let's spend a little bit of time kind of trying to understand what that is. Abiding, to abide, is to live continue or remain. And we're specifically talking about this in the midst of our relationship with God, that we as people continue to live. If there's imagery I can give you, it's of a covering, that we are people that are covered and and supported and cared for by God. And we stay in intimate, connected relationship. This is a prayer of Jesus. This is the goal of the New Testament is to move us into this place that we are designed to live. And each week, In this series, we are looking at an ancient spiritual practice, and these spiritual practices are designed to position us to live within God's love. They're not, I want to be clear, they're not magic, right? This isn't a math equation where you just, okay, I'm going to pray, and then this is going to happen. But what these spiritual practices are is they're things that help restore us, heal us, and then also grow us. And I think that's a really important distinction. As we move towards these spiritual practices, there's going to be times when, man, they're like water when you're thirsty, right? And there's other times where they are straight up tearing you apart to make you and put you back together. They're meant to transform you. So we don't just have one expectation when we're moving into them. We just We recognize that sometimes there's a healing that happens, sometimes there's transformation, oftentimes all of the above. And this is incredibly important for us because we want this. Now, sometimes we can find language for how this is supposed to look, and sometimes we find imagery. At the very beginning here, I want to give you a short video. I'm going to put a video of, um, I have this fiery little three-year-old at home, right? His name's Owen. He's a redhead. When I had hair, it was red, right? He is definitely my kid, right? And he, I don't know if anybody has kids or grandkids or anything that loves to play with the hose, right? He loves to play with the hose. And recently, he was trying to play with the hose, and as you'll see in the video, he's having a little trouble with that, and he was kind of asking for my help. And this is just one of the times I was smart enough to kind of turn on uh, the camera and and video what he was doing. So all I want to do is we're going to watch this together as he's holding the, the hose nozzle, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. So check this out. This is Owen. What? It says they have some stuff. There's no water coming out? No. Is something wrong? Yeah. Hmm. And not have any water. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Is it? It's just a second there. Oh. Second there, the problem was the stuff. Mm. The stuff is stuck and it's help. If you don't speak Owen, what he said at the end there is, there's something stuck and I need help, right? He's holding the hose nozzle. If you didn't notice, there was no hose. There, So he's squeezing it, he's expecting something to happen because other times he's picked up the hose nozzle when I've attached it, right? And he gets water and he plays with it, but this time it's not working, And but this time he's certain this is the problem, and if you will just fix this, then I will have what I need, right? I think this is a lot of us spiritually, 
where we have a goal, we want it to work, we want to have access to the water, access to the living water, right? But we kind of want to have it on our terms. We're not really open to the new ways of looking and, and attaching. We want to do it how we want to do it, right? Now, what I want to do today is to have a conversation around this idea of how, how do we do that? How do we gain access to God's power, authority, grace, and love? We've been talking in this series, Psalm 16, 8, reminds us that we have this imagery that I have set the Lord always before me, that there is a way in this form of living that we have that even if we have the best of intentions, we on, on Sundays we come to church or whenever we're going before God, we put him before us and then life happens, anxiety happens, fear happens, circumstance happens, and then God kind of gets set to the side over here. And it is the responsibility of a Christ follower to continually recognize it and take him and place him back at the center of our lives. And so that's what spiritual practices can do for us. And what we are doing in this series is highlighting some of the well-worn paths that wise believers over thousands of years have taken to live in this place of abiding with their creator. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 16, and we're going to kind of press in today on a really radical statement that Jesus made. He's kind of in the business of radical statements, so this isn't a shocker for us, but this is a pretty radical statement. He says this in John chapter 16, verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Jesus at this point is nearing the very end of his time here on earth before his ascension. And he's saying, it is actually best that I go away, physically go away, so that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, can come. Now, I, I want to ask you a quick question. Do you believe him? Like, think about what he's saying. It is better that I, Jesus... Physically, I'm now here physically. It is actually better that I go away and that you have what we all have now, which is access to and having the Holy Spirit live within us. So another way to say this, do you actually believe that it is better to have what you have right now than Jesus sitting right next to you? I think a lot of us, like, because that's the Bible answer, we're like, yes, right? But actually gaining... A real understanding of why is, why is this better? Like, actually better. What I want to do is talk a little bit about this. Jesus goes on to say in verse 12 and 13, There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He says, there's so much that I want to teach you, but you cannot handle it. It is above your reading level. All right? I have a son, my oldest right now is about to play football, so they do this thing when they, uh, on the football teams, they send out the playbook. All right? Anyone have any like, sports kids? Right? They get a playbook. The kids have to learn the playbook because in football, it's really important to know your responsibility and what you are supposed to do. I would really, really love for God to send me a life playbook. Would, it, would that not be awesome? Like, but recognize what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you have no idea how many pages that would be. 
you cannot handle that much information. If you just want me to download to you all the things that you need to do, even today, even this week, you can't handle that. So he says, you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This word truth in the Greek means reality as in the opposite of illusion. The opposite of illusion. There's a form of living where we live in illusion, not the way that we are created to live. And Jesus is saying, it's one thing for me to give you a playbook for life. It's another for me to bring and send a guide to live among you and in you that will continue to guide you towards the form of reality that you are designed to live in. And as we enter into spiritual practices, God, as a loving father, offers to us what E. Stanley Jones calls autonomous character. See, the idea of spiritual practices is that it helps us to develop a form of autonomous character where we are not just people, though we go before God and we seek direction, we are not starting from scratch every single time. Over time, we are building a character and integrity into what right and wrong is, what healthy and unhealthy is, so that each and every time we we grow and we know what it looks like to embody Christ-likeness in this world. In this way, Jesus says, I'm going to send an advocate that will guide you towards this form of reality. Now, if you turn to the very next chapter, John 17, this is one of them, probably actually my favorite portion of Scripture, what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now, if you've ever spent any time whatsoever praying with another person, you know that that is one of the most beautiful and intimate things you can do with another person. Going with them before God, having sometimes this beautiful expression, one person praying this collective prayer. We're, we're entering into something beautiful together. So being able to witness that or experience that is an amazing part of what it means to be Christ followers. And in this passage we get to witness Jesus praying to his Father in heaven in a beautiful, raw, and very honest way. And in this dialogue with God, he is speaking about us. That's that's an amazing thing that we, on an aside, if you want to just spend some time with God, I would really encourage you to spend some time in John 17 and hear him speak about you, about his mission here on earth and what it means and his heart for us. But in this prayer, in verse three, he says this, speaking to God, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says, this is eternal life. And Dallas Willard, who's one of the really helpful architects of this series for us, reminds us that this word life is not just speaking of a future sense. And then it would be better said that this is eternal living, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That this word living, it means both a physical present and a spiritual, particularly future existence. So, as a Christ follower, that means that I am not just trying to gain entry into an afterlife, but I'm invited into an eternal way of living. And that this way of living may be foreign to me and this world, but it is completely natural to God. What do I mean by that? 
In verse 4, he says this, speaking again to God. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Lord, I, I did it. I came, I served, I taught, I loved, I guided, I, I died. I did that work that you called me to do. In verse 5, and now... Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This word glory that Jesus is speaking of, one translation equates this to brightness or shining light. He's saying, Father, glorify me now in light of what I've done with, in your presence with the same glory I had with you before the world began. So climb into what he's saying with me for a second. Have you ever stopped to think about what God was doing before creation? Like, my flawed human sense thinks of this in a parental way. Like, did my parents actually have a life before me? Or like, they were probably just bored and then I came along and I brought the purpose to their life, right? Jesus is speaking about what was before that, like the reality that you and I, the physical reality that you and I know, something was happening and Jesus is speaking about it, that it was something being shared and he actually calls it glorious. The Bible begins with the idea of in the beginning, but that was just the beginning of what we see and know as our reality but there is an internal reality that existed before the beginning that we know. And Jesus is here saying that in that reality, there was plenty to do and it was glorious. And in this eternal reality, Jesus says something was being shared. A particular form of glory was being shared. And not only was it shared before the world began, but then in verse 21, he makes an even more radical statement. I'm sorry, verse 22, he says this. I have given them, speaking of us, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So before the reality that we know and live in now, there was something being shared by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit together. That beautiful thing being shared... Jesus is saying, brought oneness, and I have given it to them so that they can live in oneness. So it seems important to me that we understand what this thing, what this glory is that he's talking about. Because don't we want oneness? Like, don't we want, we yearn for your unity? What was the glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world began? Dallas Willard says that this is best described as what the Trinity, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit, were sharing together. And that brings us to this week's spiritual practice, which is fellowship. Now, if you know me and my story, I've shared it a few times. I didn't grow up in church, so this is one of those really Christian words, is it not? <laughs> like, if you did grow up in church, many of maybe... Did you grow up with a fellowship hall somewhere, right? That place where it had like folding chairs and tables and fruit salads and questionable casseroles, you know? <laughs> so like, is it saying that's fellowship? That's what we're to do? Well, maybe a little bit of that. And maybe you, you were like, you didn't grow up in church. And so the only, you know, using of that word was in like Lord of the Rings or something. 
also. That's the only fellowship, kind of what, what that is. <laughs> See, understanding what this word is seems vitally important to me. As a new believer, I can remember being at church functions and then people saying, do you want to go have some fellowship? And I was just like, I don't even know if I'm better now, but back then I definitely didn't. My face never hid what I was thinking. And so I was just like, like, hang out? Like, I don't, what are you asking of me? Right? I don't know what, we're, aren't we hanging out right now? Like, we're going to leave hanging out and go have some form of fellowship? What, is, what does that mean? And unpacking what this thing is that Jesus is praying over us, this gift that he is giving us, seems really important for us to understand. And so to do so, let's look at this word fellowship. If we turn to the book of Acts, we find it um, all throughout. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see a description. There is an early church. Right? We know this as the Acts church. And this early church has, is being led by the apostles to so the people that lived uh, with Jesus, learned from Jesus, and they're forming a community around Jesus' words and his teachings. They're, they're taking the Torah, the, the truth about the Bible that they knew, and then they're looking at the, the words and teachings of Jesus, and they're kind of wrestling together, what does this mean? And they're inviting people to be a part of this kingdom movement. And in that place, we get a description of this community. Specifically, we get a, a hierarchy or a description of what mattered to them. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Remember that for later. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Another quick aside, every single spiritual practice that we will talk about this summer is contained within these verses. There were practices, there were people of God that came together and said, we have a whole bunch of things that we care about, but we're going to devote ourselves to a few. We're going to look at this idea of devotion. To devote means to give constant attention to a thing. This community of people adopted among themselves a whole new set of practices and life habits together. One way of thinking about what it means to be a Christian is to adopt a new set of habits around a new set of priorities. And this community of God had a few distinct priorities. Let's talk about them. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does this mean? They devoted themselves to meditation, some of the things we've already talked about. We'll talk about the idea of study and journaling right, to listening, to wrestling through the scriptures, to, to say, okay, the, the people that are teaching us the scriptures, we're going to come together and regularly learn about that. So in a very basic sense, they devoted themselves to learning. They recognize I have more that I need to learn and more growing that I need to do. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, hallelujah, being part of a community that just eats together, right? Like, Amen? We can all sign up for that? That is this, but it's not just that. This is regular meals together where they form life and share life together, but the essence and the foundation of what they were doing always came back to someone 
grabbing some form of bread and some sort of cup and saying, this is why we're doing this. This bread brings us to remember Christ's sacrifice for us and the cup, his blood shed on our behalf. And it brings us back to what we're devoting ourselves to, not just eating, not just fellowship or hanging out together, but something much deeper. So they devoted themselves to being together. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And this is bigger than just the idea of praying. This is all forms of responding to God. So this is worship. This is prayer, both uh, individual and collective together. They devoted themselves to talking to God, to including him in their lives. And it says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The other ones are pretty, they seem pretty clear, but this one, I think... See, we already kind of covered being together. So what does this one mean? In the Greek, the word is koinonia, and it means to share. It means to share. This group of followers of Christ devoted themselves to sharing. Now, if you're anything like me, you'd be asking, like, what did they share? And the answer is, Everything. Like, everything. All the things that they had on this earth, they shared all of it. See, koinonia is a commitment to sharing, but sharing all different types of things, our resources, our time, our money, our physical abilities, our presence with one another. This is one of those ideas, that if, I'm, if I'm completely honest with you, is... It's been one of the hardest things times I've ever had in the history of ministry. I'm getting close to 20 years in, in vocational ministry at this point in my life and do a lot of teaching. And my whole world is naming things. I love it in my in pastoral world and therapy world, all of the above. I love doing the work of kind of creatively naming things. How do we put language or imagery to something to better understand it? And this idea of fellowship is one of the hardest times I have ever had because it is so hard to find. So let me give you some imagery for that. If you just take the word and break it up, it means fellow and ship. So it literally means being in the same boat. Okay? That's the imagery I want for you to have. Earlier we talked about, I told you to remember it, right? It said that that community of people had all things in common. This word is the same root word for koinonia. It said that they had this shared sense of your needs are my needs and my needs are your needs and my things are your things and your things are my things. Now, we live in a culture now, I need you to understand this with me. This idea is so far away from the way that we live. So far away. So when I say fellowship to you, and I want to challenge you today. I really do. I hope you're stretched today. When I say fellowship, and if you really quickly are like, got it, I think we're missing it. I really do. I think this is going to take real wrestling to say, this is one of the few things that the community of God shared together, and this is the essence of what was happening in whatever was happening before this reality. And it was beautiful, and it was good, and it was glorious, and it's something that Jesus not only wants to return to, but wants us to live in. And so I don't think it's easily entered into. 
See, this spiritual practice is different than all the others because only on the rarest of occasions do we find it here on earth. And why is that? Because we can't just do it alone. See, all the other ones you're going to be able to take and, and practice on your own, but this one it takes two people. If we go back a little bit to what Jesus was describing in that John 17 about that glory he was sharing with God, before the earth was made. See, before the conception of time, all three persons of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dwelled together in perfect harmony. Again, I want to challenge you, right? Don't just use your earthly version of perfect harmony. I don't even know if we've ever actually touched this. This true perfect form of we are working together and both parties leave like I was honored, I took part, right? There is no hierarchy here. We found versions of this and we find small pieces of this. But this is saying that the triune God lived in this. This was the essence of the reality. Timothy Keller elaborates on this dynamic existence saying, No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the other. Sounds like chaos to me, right? Who's in charge? Yet something about this is something that we are to enter into. See, in this way, God enjoys perfect fellowship or sharing with himself. The Father, Son, and Spirit are in eternal relationship and always participate in acts of self-giving love towards each other. There is no hierarchy. There is only sharing. Is that the essence of the community we formed? Sometimes, right? Is that the essence of the community you've formed in your family, in your relationship, in your marriage, in your friendships? Sometimes. Yet we're invited to live in this koinonia. See, koinonia indicates a bond based on a shared mission. It says we are together following Christ growing in his love and teachings. However, the word also emphasizes, please let this hit you, the importance of sharing material goods as a sign of following Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. See, I knew it. He was going to ask for my stuff. Yep, he is. It's not your stuff. We insist that it's our stuff. And the foundation of our fellowship, actual real fellowship together, begins with entering into the fellowship that existed long before we did. It means leaving the way we know how to organize community and society and submitting that to God and saying, I need a new way. There's a couple of passages I was reading this week, and I confess to you, I have taught this before. I have written papers in Bible college for this before. I've sat down with people and I am, they are hitting me and unraveling me in a way this week that I don't think they ever had. The first is Paul speaking in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, crucifixion means the end of a life. He's saying, my way of living that I insist on is dead. 
dead. That part's not supposed to be resurrected. It is dead. It means that what I am living for no longer governs my existence. It's no longer about our old life in our own kingdom. It is now about God's kingdom and what he is doing. Let that settle in here. How much of our life are we holding on to nodding, not allowing to die so that Christ can live in us? 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Again, can we just be human for a second and be like, can I a little live for myself? Like what, what version do I know? This passage is saying, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Friends, this is the idea of fellowship. And this is the sobering idea of it is that you have to die into it. You don't just get to choose it because you want it. There is a version of you that has, the old version of you has to die to actually find it because the natural outpouring of fellowship is belonging, right? When we actually find this, now think back to the imagery I gave you, being in the same boat, right? How often, this is a great spiritual thing, like yes, everyone's in the same boat, right? We're all in this thing together until I say, well, actually, what about that person in your life? Do you actually want them in the same boat? Or are you like, God, give them another boat. Give them a dinghy. They can just go out there. We can give them a cruise ship as long as it's on the other hemisphere, right? And that's the idea of fellowship is that we, we, that part of us has to be confronted and actually has to die. Now, how do we do that? That's, that's the hard work. There's a death that has to happen, and then the resurrection is on the other side of it. This is a beautiful idea, but we know it is not our normal reality. Dallas Willard says this, all of the evils that you see in human life come from alienation, come from separation, come from different boat, putting, like doing the work of putting different people in different boats. It's only as you come to know the complete safety that you have in the kingdom of God that you can begin to move towards other people and the kind of shared life that is in the Trinity. You have to be secure in knowing I belong so that you can create the type of uh, uh, culture on the boat that tells that to others. I saw an extreme version of the opposite of this yesterday. My family and I, we drove up and we went to a Mariners game yesterday and they won. Hallelujah. Any Mariners fans here know that that's, for the last 20 years, that's a, something to celebrate. And it was sunny, and we won. It was great. And on the way home, we, we hopped on I-5, and I was driving, and I noticed somebody in my rear view just driving aggressively and erratically. So you, I don't know if you've been around that, right? But you're, you just stay aware. Where is that person? And they drove next to us and past us, and kind of busy I-5. It's not traffic, but, so you're still going. And I watched this thing happen where he drove. He's weaving in and out really fast in a, in a really fast car. And then all of a sudden, I lost sight of him, and I just heard something happen. And I don't see his car. I see another car careening over and run into the barrier on the side. He hits her. She hits pretty aggressively, but turns, and, and then he pulls over in front of her, and we're all watching this happen in an entire freeway, and then he just takes off. Just takes off. 
how much do you have to be convinced that only my boat matters for this to happen? Now, were there going to be consequences for him? Absolutely. You know, we got his license plate, called it in, and the terrible thing now, we were actually looking at this because they got his light, the, the, somebody else had already called it in by the time we called it in. And so this, not only we're thankful someone was safe, but this person's life is different now because they chose to live as if only their boat matters. This is an extreme example, right? But I don't think the idea of it is that extreme. Just continually moving through life and saying, "What I'm insisting on my way mattering more than your way," and and so and here's the thing: I can leave at any point. I don't know you. And yet, what this is calling us to do as Christ followers is not only believe in fellowship. I think that's a pretty one. I, I'm hoping I convinced you that that's a way of Christ likeness, but devote yourself to it. To look at it in the hierarchy of your priorities and say, how, what needs to fall off so that my, the essence of me serving and giving, self-giving, sacrificing form of love shows up in everything that I do? Now, how do we get there? In Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us that an important step into this eternal form of living that we're invited into in this shared life is remembering your own alienation. So it would be awesome. It's like, okay, guys, let's get in the boat. Everybody happy? Good. We love each other. Let's go. And what Paul is saying, actually, the way to do that is to first go back in your life and find the times where you were excluded where you were cast out, where you felt like you didn't belong, go focus on that for a minute because it's only in remembering that and attaching yourself to that that when you get to this moment where I want to send them out in the dinghy, that you remember they're probably feeling just like I have felt before. And maybe even their behavior is as a result of that fear, that deep fear of not belonging. And so for some of us, we just sabotage healthy relationships because we've actually never experienced them. So I'm going to stop this thing before it ever hurts me. This is calling us back to a different way of living. Remembering our own alienation. So one, one of the most profound things that I don't think we highlight enough about this idea of love. See, as Christ followers, I like to say that we are to be the people of love. Okay? I've, I've taught up here before that I think church, at our essence, this is supposed to be love school. This is where you go and learn how to love, be loved. All right? This is what our, our whole goal is here. Right? And there's a description of love that we don't emphasize. We choose other ones in our priority list in the Bible. And it says this. Love does not insist on its own way. Take that in with me. Let me say it another way. The people of love do not insist on their own way. How many of the conflicts in our lives are there because on some level I am insisting on my own way? My preferences, my desires are this and I want this and yet the people of love, what it means is I don't insist. I don't force that on others. There is a third way. Now there's this scary thing happens that happens if we're not careful because if you, I'm tracking with you, Chris, I'm not supposed to insist on my own way, but does that mean I just go to their way? 
I've seen them. they got a crazy dinghy over there, all right? I don't want to climb in that boat. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's not dualistic like that. It's bigger than that. There is a third way of beautiful creation that happens and sharing in the middle when everyone brings their way and there is mutual submission. There is mutual sacrifice. Again, I say this, friends, it's so hard to find. And instead of recognizing that we are people in the same boat, we often alienate ourselves and alienate others. Let me give you some fresh imagery. I mentioned earlier my little three-year-old, that fiery little redhead, right? Whoo, is he fiery? He is God's retaliation against me for, on my parents' behalf, right? He is so loving and so caring. I tell him all the time, he knows this, his, his hugs are medicine, right? It's beautiful. And he also has an independence to him that is what anyone like maybe anyone has kids like this you can just wink at me on the side and we'll we'll start a support and life group on the side right because i could use some wisdom for this <laughs> well now i'm going to tell you a little story uh this little guy i was shooting basketball hoops in front of my house with my oldest and, and my little one is driving his little with the little um like power wheels jeep around right he's doing little drifts and everything else like he wants to and a car comes down the road and he's not moving out of the road near as quickly as I want him to so I kind of run over there and just took his power wheels and moved it off to the side right car goes by he drives up he starts driving again me and my oldest start shooting again and like three whole minutes go by and then all of a sudden I hear this little three-year-old like make a ah! sound and he just yelled don't touch my jeep like three minutes later, he's been stewing and circling around this for three whole minutes. I've moved on, and I'm just like, what is happening here? But you can just tell he's miss his form of reality just said, that's not what I want. I didn't want that. No, Mises' father knew that there's something coming that was going to hurt him, and so we needed to move him out of the way, but that's not the way he wanted it, right? I think that's a lot of us. This little boy, see, both of my boys, they knew that whenever there's conflict or tension in our house, I make them do something that they absolutely hate. As I bring them over to me and I put my hands out like this, and in the midst of this kind of tension and redheaded, fiery craziness, I invite them to put their hands in mine. And my goal for this is just in the midst of whatever's happening, that maybe, just maybe, our touch can do better work than our words can do. And remind that we're in this together, right? And so, now here's the thing. My oldest hated this, but he would do it. Eventually, he would put his hands in mine, and we would sit there and breathe together for however long is needed. But my youngest, right, once I get him over to me, he will not put his hands in mine. This is so how much insists on his own way he is. He has to put his hands under mine, right? <laughs> he will finally touch my hands, but not on your terms, Dad, right? <laughs> Isn't this us also? Like, I want access to what you have, but not, I want, I want some percentage of my own way. I, I, I need it. I want it. We're reminded in the scriptures that human beings are made in the image of a God 
whose essence is sharing. So how could we do anything but share? And to do so, we have to confront the parts of us that insist on our own way. So here's what I want to do as we're talking about spiritual practices here today. I actually want to do a little practicing. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Right? Again, this idea of love. How do we get there? Right? To get to the end game that we want, love and good works. So not just the, the I love you, but there's an actual physical expression. There's an, you can see it in my life. I don't value things or stuff or even goals above connection with you or providing for your needs. Right? It's not just an idea. It's physical. It's actually action that's happening. How do we get there? And the Bible says, consider one another. So I want to do that with you here today. I'm going to move this podium to the side. Here's what I want to ask of you. I'm going to ask of you to for just a few minutes today, we're going to consider someone. Now we have possibilities, and I'm going to rely on you to choose who you want to consider. But what we're going to do is we're going to invite them in your mind's eye to sit right here. Now maybe for some of us, this is a loved one. And maybe this is some of us, and what I, like for, for some of us, it could be sitting right next to you right now. What I would encourage is if this is someone who maybe in some level it doesn't feel like you're in the same boat right now. Maybe you want to be. Maybe you, if you're honest in your flesh, you, you don't really want to be. I'm going to invite you to consider them. Maybe for some of us, and this is the scary thing, maybe there's some people that we need to consider for a moment. There are people that you would gladly send on any other boat than yours. Gladly. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to minimize hurt or trauma that's occurred in that space. But to move towards being people of love, we have to consider them, the Bible tells us. So let's do this. So I'm going to step a little bit to the side here. And I want to invite you to envision them sitting in this chair. And just I want you to see them sitting. I want you to notice what's their posture as they sit there. Their legs crossed, arms crossed. Are they slouching? Are they sitting? How do they normally sit? I just want to ask you a couple questions as you consider them, all right? I'm asking you to go there with me. What storms are they in right now? What is the nature of the fear that they're experiencing? In what way are they not believing that they belong or, and are included in the same boat? In what way have they not believed that for their entire life? Here's a big one. Where have they been? Is there any way that you have participated in their not belonging? 
Is there any way in which the spirit that guides us into all truth, into this eternal sharing reality is inviting you to share some version of yourself, be it physical things or resources or time or presence or kind words or patience or forgiveness or grace or understanding or listening or curiosity The list is deep of the things that we can share and offer to one another. Do you want them on the same boat? See, this sort of practice could be done at any second and at any time, any time. The scary thing is, is we wonder, is anyone doing this on our behalf? See, that the goal of the body of Christ is that there is a continual devotion. We're pushing away distractions as often as we can to say, this is what we do here. It is messy. On this, this eternal reality and this reality that we have, it is messy. But I pray that we would be a community where no one questions whether this is a priority of ours are sharing. But again, the only way we get here is a continual dying. That you set your priorities down. That there is not an insisting on your own way. How would marriages here transform if both parties just truly agreed to that? How would relationships, how would forgiveness happen? How would families be transformed if this became our reality? We don't insist on our own way. Not your way, not my way, but some level of working together in the middle where everyone's honored and seen and valued and belongs. One last thing. I don't have a concrete answer for this, but as I look at the landscape of the culture that we live in today, at the bottom, at the, at the foundation, I see a people yearning for a sense of belonging. I wonder what it would look like to be a people that gave that away for free before someone else earned it. I wonder if that's what you want yourself. It's free for you to wrestle through your life as to what love looks like. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, we acknowledge the presence and the guidance of this Spirit that leads us into all truth. And I just proclaim over this community a priority of sharing. Right now, I pray that the things that we want, how much our attention goes to that thing I want, so I'm going to work so I can get that thing. And if it's not in the essence of sharing or bringing me closer to the people that you have placed before me in my life, or if it, if it allows me to just separate and prioritize my needs, Lord, I pray that there is a death that happens there. And there is a reordering of these priorities even right now. I pray for a felt sense of closeness and oneness, Lord. May you bring shape. This thing that I struggle so hard to name, Lord, may you bring a tangible shape to it in each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. God bless you all.
Uh, enjoy your holiday weekend. One uh, practical way is we've gotten all of you guys ice cream, right? And so on your way out, we'd love if you grab some ice cream, enjoy it together, have some fellowship, meet somebody new. God bless you guys. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll see you soon.